Hi, this is Iza from Tea for Turmeric, and you're listening to the Eat Blog Talk podcast. Hey, awesome food bloggers. Before we dig into this episode, I have a really quick favor to ask you. Go to your favorite podcast player, go to Eat Blog Talk, scroll down to the bottom where you see the ratings and review section. Leave eBlog Talk a five-star rating if you love this podcast and leave a great review. This will only benefit this podcast. It adds value. And I so very much appreciate your efforts with this. Thank you so much for doing this. Okay, now on to the episode. Hello, food bloggers. Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, the podcast for food bloggers looking for the value and confidence that will move the needle forward in their businesses. This episode is sponsored by Rank IQ. I'm your host, Megan Porta, and you are listening to episode number 320. Today, I have Iza Chima here with me, and she is going to tell us why she believes more content is not necessarily the answer to blog growth. Iza is the founder of Tea for Turmeric, the largest Pakistani food blog. She shares tested and perfected Pakistani and South Asian recipes on the blog. With less than 100 recipes, her blog gets well over 350K visits per month or 2 million a year. Iza honed in on growing while niching down and maintaining her loyal readership. Hello, Iza. How are you today? I'm so happy to have you here. Good. Thank you so much for having me, Megan. Yes, it is great to talk to you, and I love this topic. But before we get into it, we want to hear what your fun fact is. Okay, my fun fact is that I started this blog while my daughter was napping. So I just saw a Pinterest, um, one of those, remember those pins that I think they were sponsored by Bluehost, like how to start a blog in two easy steps or something. So I just, it was that week I had uh, decided to do something new every single day. I think maybe my daughter was six months and I was just kind of bored or something. <laughs> and I saw that and I was like, you know, today I'm going to start a blog. And I didn't think much into it. And I'm so glad I didn't because had I thought too much into it, I wouldn't be here today. So <laughs> sometimes overthinking just gets in the way of things, right? Yeah. And I'm glad that you were inspired by it. I feel like we kind of bash on Bluehost a lot as a really like terrible solution for web hosting, but at least they inspired you. I love that. Yes. They did something good. That's why I started the blog. Yep. Oh, I love it. Well, I am super excited about this chat because I feel like for so long we were just told, pump out more content. What's the key to success? More content, more content, like over and over for years until very recently. And now it's like a totally different game, I would say within the last year or two. So we're all taking a little bit of a step back and saying, okay, wait, we don't need to necessarily pump out more content. We need to pay attention to the content that we're creating and give it extra love. So why do you believe, Iza, that that is not a good strategy just to pump out more content? So when I first started out, like you're saying, I was almost kind of embarrassed that I was producing such little content and you were supposed to be posting, you know, three times a week at least. And um, I was just not able to do that. I think in a way it was a blessing that I had my daughter when I started the blog. So she was six months old. And then, um, you know, a couple of years, a few years later, I had my son and that was still while I had the blog. So I had a lot of time constraints. And so I just couldn't manage to put that that much content out there if I was going to be proud of that content. 
But as I went on, I started to see, I started to notice that a lot of people had a lot more content than I did, but they didn't have that many page views or, you know, just based off what I could tell, it wasn't that their blog was particularly seeing more success than mine. So I, the more I looked into it, I realized, you know, it's not about having, just pumping out content. It's about, like you're saying, the content that you're producing. Is it solving a problem? Is it adding to your library, you can say, of um, posts? I would say it was easier for me in a way that maybe would not be for some others was that I was able to niche down since the very beginning. Like there were no, there weren't that many Pakistani food blogs. And so I, you know, that was just something that I did right off the bat. And to be honest, I did, uh, I did kind of start off not knowing that I should really, really focus on that. And so I would do something like gluten-free pancakes just because, you know, I made them like you're saying, and I like them or I developed the recipe and I liked it, but I realized that it's not what my blog is going to rank for. And so if you're producing content that your blog may not rank for, I mean, unless you're doing it really strategically, so you can kind of signal to Google that you're entering a new territory, there's really no point of creating it. I mean, you can create it just for fun, which, you know, sometimes I'll do that. It's like some you know, something that you just want to share, you can go and share that. But is that going to really contribute to the bottom line? I don't think so. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm curious, how how long have you been blogging? So I've been blogging for five years. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I have less than 100 recipes and, you know, well over, I'd say, 400k views, like almost half a million, you can say. And this is with less than 100 recipes. So wow. I think that is definitely um, an exception, and that is amazing. I have my numbers are like so far skewed from yours. So I've got like, well, I had just about a thousand or maybe just over a thousand at one point recipes. And I was in that camp where I was like, okay, I need to just produce. And I was creating so much content, never giving it a thought though, like what I was actually creating. And my page views per month have have been around what yours are like back when Pinterest was a thing I would I would occasionally reach a million page views a month but that was like an that was an anomaly for me but now like that Pinterest is no longer a thing really so I'm around where you're at but I it's such a different story it's so interesting to see how your story has unfolded versus someone like me who did have that uh, strategy in my mind to begin with. So if content isn't like producing more content isn't the answer, I would love to hear what you think is the answer. So can you move through just a couple of things that you feel like we should be doing? You mentioned niching down to start. What else is there? So the first thing is to, everyone says niching down, but I like to think of it in terms of if you go to a massive library and you have these different sections and you'll have, you know, South Asian recipes. And then on top of that, you'll have Pakistani recipes. So that is like, if you pull out that book, you know, what recipes are going to be inside that? So that's basically how I think Google has it set up right now. So if you are producing, you know, spaghetti recipe, smoothie recipe, 
uh, muffin recipe. <laughs> it's like, uh, where in that library, where would you go to find your blog? Mm-hmm. So, so that's one thing that I really tried to do very early on is, okay, this is gonna, f- and I put that, I wove that into kind of my branding. And, and I, I knew that I have to not just do Pakistani recipes, but South Asian, because the broader South Asian recipes are just, they're gonna, it's a stable strategy long term. Whereas Pakistani, it's still, um, it's very niche down. So there would be like a cap that I could go to. And to be honest, a lot of Pakistani recipes are South Asian recipes. It's the same thing, but people just don't know. I mean, they're, they're different, but they're very similar. It's like North India and Mm. Punjab. And that's where I'm, you know, originally from, you can say they're, they're very similar. So I can be authentic to my recipes and my culture while still broadening into the South Asian category. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you have any thoughts about EAT? I know that is something that Google really stresses getting that expertise, authority, and trust. And it's kind of hard. I feel like food bloggers are constantly asking, how do I increase my EAT? So what are your thoughts on all of that? You know, as the competition increases, I feel like that'll be even more important. And one of the reasons is because when someone lands on your page, they're most likely not going to go to your about me and see what your credentials are, right? They're not going to see how, you know, educated you are, or how, yeah. you know, how you know, they're, they're just want, looking at one page. So in that page, that's where you have to show your expertise. And I like to show it by saying, you know, and again, this was embarrassing to me in the beginning where I've tested this recipe 50 times. Um, <laughs> and I later learned that, you know, this is what adds value. Um, I, I weave that into my copy, like, hey, I tried this with this and didn't work out. I'm very, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you could tell from, I'm very much a perfectionist about getting mm. my recipes really right. And so, yeah. so I, I don't hide that anymore. I tell the readers like I tried this with this this is how it worked I tried it. so I'm saving them work and that's what's building that credibility and that authority I love that so you're not necessarily doing that through like you said your about page and like what you've accomplished necessarily but instead putting it into the way that you treat your recipes and your posts and communicating that and that exactly. will like, does that translate to Google? I know that would translate to a user, which I guess is the ultimate goal for Google. But do you feel like Google picks up on that? Yeah, I think it, over time it does. Because now I, I heard recently that Google's even looking at reviews, you know, on your web page. Ah. So it's it's like the slow burn, right? If, you, if you're continuously doing that, you're going to build that authority over time. So... An example is I just updated my Lessi recipe. It's a drink. It's a yogurt drink, South Asian. And, um, you know, in that I mentioned, hey, recently I had Lessi in Lahore when I went on a trip or, you know, I've, so that type of little little things like that, weave those into your post and they, they'll show the reader, hey, you know what Lessi is supposed to taste like. Hey, I'm Punjabi. So that's like Lessi is a Punjabi drink. I know what Lessi is supposed to taste like. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think that's super smart and I don't think I do that very well, but I'm curious if other bloggers do that and what 
they see as a result of that, like if they see their expertise, authority and trust going up too. But I just love that. That's such a good perspective. Um, Anything else with EAT that you feel like would be helpful for food bloggers to know? Um, Another thing is, uh, and I I think it goes hand in hand with EAT, is um, not just adding to the noise, if that makes sense. Like not just giving a recipe and saying, hey, this is my, uh, you know, grandma's recipe or this is my husband's favorite recipe. I think that that's a little bit overplayed and that doesn't have the same impact as saying something like this is a chef recipe or this is a, you know, uh, treasured recipe or contest winning recipe. Or it, there has to be, I think, again, as the competition increases, there has to be something special about that recipe or that technique or something that solves a problem or, you know, makes the user's life better in some way. We just absolutely have to be setting ourselves apart in some way in our content, yeah. right? And I think this is exactly what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. 100%, yeah. yeah. So it sounds like you really comb through each blog post and you take your time with it and make sure that it has great quality. So talk about that. Like, how do you specially treat each blog post that you write? So uh, the first thing I do, and this is this can go back to the initial point of quality is not, I mean, quantity is not necessarily better than quality. And that is that I try to contribute to my, you know, the 80-20 rule, obviously. Um, I try to contribute to that 20% of the recipes that are going to give me 80% of the traffic. So I don't, you know how just about every blog has 20% of posts that give them 80% of the traffic, right? I try to add recipes to that 20% while building expertise. And so sometimes I know that I'm going to have a recipe that's going to be, you know, not necessarily bringing up that much traffic, but I try to start with that in mind. It's like, what recipe can I give that's going to add to these top 20 posts? So that's one of the things I do. Yeah, that was really well said. And then just to add to that, I'm just curious about how you treat each post as far as like when you're creating it. Do you, is there anything special you do? How much time do you spend on it? All of that. So what I do is I try to think of it in terms of, again, that library. If this is going to be the only recipe for this I ever give, what do, what, what problem should it solve? And a lot of times that comes back to asking your audience or doing a survey and you'll know what people need from that. So if there's a kebab recipe, they want it to be soft from the inside. They don't want it falling apart. You know, they'll answer these things for you. And then you can weave that into the recipe, into the copy. You can just make it so it's solving exactly what the reader wants. And, um, basically becoming a mind reader. (laughs) And then another thing I do is I have, um, you could say like beta testers, I guess, like, you know how apps have beta testers. I have like one person who's a part of my team who I send a recipe to and she's um, Pakistani as well. So I'll send her the recipe when I'm done and she will test it and let me know what she thought, anything that can be improved or she's in Canada. So any ingredient that she didn't have, 
you know, things like that. I'll, I'll just gather a lot of data in terms of what people need from this recipe and how can I deliver on that? Okay. Yeah. So you do, you're very thorough. (laughs) And how long (laughs) would you say each blog post takes you to write or does it just depend? Uh, It definitely depends, but it takes me a long time. Um, I, 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 I struggle with that line between SEO and what I want to write. And, you know, sometimes you don't want to answer these tedious questions that, you know, Google wants you to answer. But I try to do that in the most authentic way that I can without sounding like robot. But, (laughs) but basically, um, I'd say it takes me like eight to 10 hours. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Like I, I'll really go into it. And I mean, sometimes one of my recipes recently, I even have, um, I had a table and I think that's another thing that people can start doing more and more of is like introducing data <laughs> into, and I have a engineering background. I don't know, oh. if you can tell, but that probably influences some of the way I do things. I pay a lot of attention to the analytics and the data and the science behind the way things are done, you can say. So what do you analyze exactly? I, again, I analyze um, the top 20 and I try to see, I ask my readers a lot what they want uh, in terms of what recipes they want. And I'll see, you know, what, how much search volume that has. And I'll see if I, I can almost like visualize myself ranking for a particular post before I even, you know, put it out there. If that makes oh. sense. Like I can... Yeah, like I, I, I know, you know, who's ranking. I, this is before using key search or before, you know, all this. This is when I just simply use, I think it's keywords everywhere. And I can just oh, yeah. see how much the search volume is. I don't necessarily need to see like what key search things I can rank for or anything. I can just visualize where I would possibly rank. What? Yeah, I mean. Okay, so just explain so, that. Okay. <laughs> Okay, for example, biryani. Okay, it's a very, very high volume keyword. And for for key search, I couldn't possibly rank on it. I don't have the domain authority. If you look, the top uh, ranking uh, websites are very high domain authority, very, you know, millions of views, taste of home, food network, everyone's competing for it, right? But I knew that if I you know, first of all, I'm one of the only, I guess, Pakistani people giving it. And then if I were to really hone in on what people want from this recipe, like if people kept asking me for a biryani recipe, but there are so many out there. So I can tell, okay, they want something that's authentic. They want something that tastes like a restaurant or they want something that tastes like, like a professional biryani, for example. And they want it in a way that's easy to follow. They don't want, you know, vague things like cook your rice 70% or something. So like I can just listen to what they want and then provide, you can say a product that responds to their needs and that will rank. I, I mean, I mean, not hundred percent of the time, not hundred percent of the time, but a lot of times like Google takes in a lot of user signals. And if the user is satisfied, eventually that'll pay off. That is amazing. So 
just like really high level listening is what you're saying. Yes, definitely. And and then responding to that to that need. It's like it's like if you were making any product, if you think of your blog post as a product or a solution, you know, it has to solve a market need. Let's take a quick minute to chat about Rank IQ, a powerful keyword research tool that every food blogger should be using, in my opinion. It contains a customized library of keywords that actually apply to specific food blogging niches. Some of the niches include appetizers, chicken, chocolate, cupcakes, gluten-free, keto, meal prep, sous vide, air fryer, barbecue, sides, leftovers. Oh my gosh, I could go on and on. There are so many inside of there. Select a niche within the keyword library and browse through a manageable database of keywords that are all low competition and high search volume. One of my own strategies has been to create non-recipe posts that support my existing content in some way. I have a lot of sauce recipes on my site, so I've created this really valuable web Web of content that supports my sauce recipes. A few examples are I've created marinara versus spaghetti sauce as an article and how to thicken spaghetti sauce. I interlink all of that content within my own blog and recipe posts and covering different angles about sauces helps to establish myself as a credible source of information on sauces. Inside Rank IQ, you will get inspired by the keywords you find. You'll come across topics you never even thought to write about, yet that will be super valuable to your audience. Go to rankiq.com to sign up and check it out for yourself. Now, let's get back to the episode, food bloggers. That's cool because forever we were not seeing our blogs as products or solutions. We were seeing them as like recipe collections. Yeah. And yeah. that was it. We're just like add more to the collection, create this giant cookbook online. Yeah. So, yeah. but we've all seen that creating a solution to a really specific pain point is the answer for a lot of things, especially as the space gets more saturated. Exactly. So I think this is a really smart way to go about creating content. And obviously it's been working for you. I mean, your page views are incredible. And thank you. yeah, you've just kind of honed in on something that really works. So what else do you recommend that we focus on if we want to not focus on creating more, 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 but cr- focus on getting more traction? You know, sometimes it comes back to doing the work that nobody wants to do you know there are you know tedious things that they're not the fun glamorous things and so people don't want to do that so a lot of times we will have um for example this is before i was very good at figuring out how to niche down so i i got some turkish coffee from the local store and i came home and i didn't have an ibrik which is the tool that you use to make Turkish coffee. So I, you know, I started trying to make it in a saucepan and I Googled how to make Turkish coffee without an Ibrik. Okay. And there was nothing there. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so later I got an Ibrik, but I was like, Hey, you know, this is obviously something that if I didn't have the answer to it, a lot of people don't have the answer to it. So how can I figure out how to make this in a saucepan and then put it out there so it can help others too. So you know, a lot of it comes down to doing the work that has not been done before. Mm. And that could actually solve a problem that people are Googling. So taking content that is kind of boring, maybe, but is helpful 
and just doing it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And that it doesn't necessarily have to be boring. I think um, you should definitely solve problems that you're interested in because if you're not interested in that's going to show through, I, there's a lot of opportunity and there's a lot of blog posts that I could do, but I don't go for them because I know if my heart's not in it, that's not going to translate to the page. I have to admit that I've written some content that I my heart was not in, but it's done really well because it's really helpful. And I'm like, just push through this. It's not something that I would write oh, about yeah. oh. just on a any given day. Like, oh, I want to write about um, the difference between spaghetti sauce and marinara sauce. No, that's not interesting yeah. to me at all. But I knew that people were looking for that because I saw it in the rank IQ database. Like nobody's yeah. looking or nobody's writing about this. So I did yeah. it and it does great. So sometimes you maybe do need to push through a little bit and just get those things out that oh. aren't lighting you up. Oh, yes. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I've done, I recently did a post on coriander powder and I'm going to do yeah. one now on cumin powder. That's definitely not the most. Uh, right. <laughs> interesting and fun to write about blog posts. But again, you're right. If they're solving that problem, um, if you can just bring yourself into it and your expertise and not just sound like dry and dead on yeah. the inside, I think that's what that'll get you through those humps. Right. And sometimes like with my sauce thing, I know a lot about it. And it's not like a passion, but I do know a lot about sauces. So it was fairly (laughs) easy to write. It just wasn't like lighting me up. But and I also knew that it would be really helpful. So sometimes you can push through those things you don't necessarily want to do. Um, Okay. Oh, go ahead. I mean, I have to make a little plug for Foodie Digital, uh, Leanne. She's uh, one of the co-founders of Foodie Digital. It's I don't know if you've heard of it, yeah. the SEO company. Yeah, so she always says that too. It's like is that you have to, um, you know, sometimes you have to be smart and do those things that necessarily aren't very exciting, but they're going to build your authority and they're going to. Sometimes you just have to do like SEO plays. Does yeah. that make sense? If we wrote about things that lit us up all the time every day, I don't feel like that would be a super smart strategy. I mean, if you do that and you're <laughs> yeah. like wildly successful, let me know. <laughs> I want to know what you're writing about. Um, yeah, sometimes you just have to get dirty and write about things that just you know people want to hear about. Yeah, that's very true. So you talked about niching down, and I loved how you talked through all of that and how you've done such a good job of that. Uh, what are your thoughts about people who are, are listening who have a really, like a non-niche, they're just kind of broad, but yeah. they, they're intrigued by what you're saying and they maybe want to start niching down. Do you have any encouragement for them? Um, yeah, I'd say... If there's something that they're interested in that they think that they want to know more about, because the more, you know, you'll they'll learn along as they go. Um, if there's something that they think that they could do long term, and this is like a lot of there are so many underserved niches. It seems like they're not, but again, Google's slowly going to start prioritizing. So if you have a blog that has everything and they have smoothies slowly there are going to be blogs that are just for smoothies. And then they're going to have a little bit of an edge over those blogs that are giving smoothies as well. 
Does that make sense? And that, this is just yeah. my prediction. I'm not sure how it's going to actually turn out. But I trust you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But do, do you know? Do you understand what I'm saying? Though I think I do. Yeah, yeah I definitely do. Yeah, I think there's go- there is just going to be more of it going forward. Um, and if you've seen recently, Google started doing like if you look up a high um, high search keyword like chocolate cake, for example, it'll say gluten free chocolate cakes, healthy chocolate cakes, you know, coffee chocolate cakes, yeah. chocolate birthday cakes. So uh, it's just gonna as the competition grows, it's just gonna get even more categorized is, is yeah. what I think. So the bottom line is that we should all create like 12 niche blogs based on all of our content that we have. <laughs> because <laughs> oh, yeah. that's gonna blogs. do better in the end. Honestly, yeah, yeah. I've thought about that just separating out my content and creating just a bunch of different blogs. Yeah. I think that would do amazingly well, but it's obviously a lot, a lot of work. Of work. <laughs> even yeah. yeah. Even one blog for me is like with two kids. Like Oh I know. Yeah. yeah, it's hard to think about that. But then you think, well if I had like handful of different blogs that did really well it might be worth it but yeah yeah, that might be the direction we're going as a food blogger community we'll see what happens time will tell yeah do you have any other let's see you said something in your notes about roundups so what are your thoughts about roundups so again this is a way to market what you already have instead of necessarily new creating new content so one thing i I have always done, and this is, I've done this before it was a thing, um, was updating posts. And that goes back to my, like, obsessive perfectionism <laughs> type thing. And so um, I would update a post, and I would, you know, update the recipe a little bit, and I would re-advertise it, or take new photos and re-advertise it. So, so I think, like, roundups are, they tie back into that of if people are Googling uh, Pakistani dishes, for example. So I create a roundup for Pakistani dishes and that will just advertise the recipes that I already have. That's basically it is like anything that you think that you're serving, just have a broad roundup for that and post it. And they do really well with Google. They do really well with your audience. You know, everyone likes roundups. <laughs> so it's a great They do. Yeah. And I thought for a while, they were maybe phasing out, but they're not. I've created so many roundups in the past year, and they do great. Yeah. They do so, so well. Yeah, and and I'll get a lot of people saying, hey, I found this through when I was searching for vegan, uh, you know, curry recipes or something. So that's a great way to advertise something where people wouldn't necessarily be looking for it in the first place. It's also a good way to give exposure to your friends, like bloggers who have content that can be included in your roundups yeah, and uh, and backlinks to them too. Yeah, that's that's one thing that I wasn't sure about because I heard for a long time that you're not supposed to just link out if, um, you know, if just just kind of randomly link out if you're not sure about the recipe. Yeah, I'm not talking randomly. I'm talking like if I'm creating a roundup about what to serve with lasagna and I know my friend has a great garlic bread post, I will link to that. I don't ever like just randomly link out, but if it falls into the roundup and I and I know and trust the blogger, then I will do it. Yeah. And I've I've actually seen some blogs that are all they do is (laughs) roundups and they'll just round up, uh, I guess, different blogs and uh they'll just kind of research 
what people are searching for in terms of what, you know, a category recipes and then round up that. So yeah, you're right. Like, there, uh-huh. there are a few blogs out there who I don't think are authentic blogs. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to say any names. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I know. <laughs> yeah, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. I will not give this blog exposure because it makes me a little upset because yeah. they're not a true food blog. Yeah. But they, that's all they do is roundups. And then they link to, they don't link to your blog. They link to, I believe it's a Pinterest, Pinterest. pin. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen yeah. that too. So that is not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about like, no authentically putting in the effort to find quality recipes from creators who put time into them. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And also to do what you're saying, which is to market your existing content and round it out really well, yeah, as opposed yeah. to like, I'm just going to throw a round out there to get traction and and traffic and that's it. That's not okay, <laughs> in yeah, my opinion. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yep. So I didn't expect it to get controversial. Wow. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess they can be. Yeah. So yeah. what do you? What are your thoughts about creating recipes or maybe recipe posts that are just like amazing? Do you have any final thoughts just rounding out a post? Obviously, you put a lot of thought and time into it, each post the recipe and the post, but yeah. what are your thoughts about just like making it something that stands out? I mean, I'll be honest. I, there, sometimes I don't think I can make something stand out and then I will just shelve it or I'll, you know, continue working on it over the years until I do think I can make it stand out. It either has to solve a problem. So like I said, I mean, I try to make it either solve a problem or it be something that, like you're saying, there's no search results for that people are likely looking for. So, for example, I used to, and I still do, make my basmati rice in a rice cooker. And this was something that I, I just thought, you know, people are probably, this is so basic, nobody's going to like it. And, of course, on social media, it like tanked <laughs> like a lot of my posts do. But over time it became one of my most popular posts. It's like people were Googling how to make their basmati rice in a rice cooker. So, you know, it, 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 I, I try to make it fit into one of those two categories. It's like either it's an extraordinary blog post that has impact. That's not just going to get, you know, a second of traffic, people are going to pop out and never think about it again. But a blog post that's going to have kind of like leave a subtle, um, you know, imprint on the user where the next time they see, oh, this is a tea for turmeric recipe, they're more likely going to click on it. I really like to think in terms of impact. And the blog post has to create an impact. It has to be, you know, at least a little bit better than all the other blog posts on the same topic. And if not, it has to solve something that Google is, Google, I like to think of Google as my boss in some, yeah. in some ways because yeah, Google needs the answer. So either answer all those people. I mean, and then obviously it has to fit inside your niche too. So like I, I sometimes I have leftover oatmeal and I want to make muffins from that oatmeal, but um, I Googled like gluten-free 
leftover oatmeal muffins or something. I, I don't know. See, yeah. that's the type of stuff people are Googling. <laughs> yeah, some weird, um, people Google weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, there was nothing there. So, you know, there's a content idea for whoever does gluten-free. <laughs> but I, I knew that, okay, that's not within my realm. Um, I mean, unless I want it to be, and that's in a whole different discussion. Yeah. Oh, I loved how you phrased that, just creating a blog post that has impact and thinking through that beforehand instead of just wildly putting things out there like we yeah. did for so long. So this is such a good new perspective. I think this is one of the up and coming new, um, I wouldn't say a trend, but like a new philosophy for blogging. If you want to be successful at food yeah. blogging, you've absolutely got to adopt some of these things that you're talking about. In order to get, I mean, if your goal is getting traffic, but if your goal is like creating an online database of recipes for your family, then totally different. But if you want to grow this as a business, we've got to start thinking about some of these things. Yeah. Do you have final thoughts for us, Isa? Anything that we missed you want to be sure to leave us with? I think one thing that I didn't mention that I, I guess we didn't really talk about was hiring out. Um, I think it was a talk at Mediavine. This is before the pandemic. And it was Urvashi from Two Sleevers. And she said, reinvest about 70% of your income. And yeah, and that really stuck with me. She said, if you're, you have to choose between if you want to build a business or Mm. build an income. And so like if you're making this a long-term thing, your take-home pay shouldn't be more than 30%. So what I've really what I've really been doing since the beginning is I really understood. It's like I think there's a term for it. It's like how a media matures. And as blogs mature, we're gonna learn that this is not something that one person can do. I, I think so. So I as soon as I could, I started reinvesting and hiring out as much as I could. So, you know, right now I have help with my photography, my videography. I have the recipe tester, like I mentioned, my VA. I have Leanne with Foodie Digital, who I work with. So just kind of get as much help as you can. This is not a one person thing. And I, and I think I saw, I heard this, um, on ad thrives. Someone says like, someone said, you can be, you you may be smarter than most people, but you're not smarter than more people. <laughs> and I think like, uh. yeah, and I think it really is kind of eye-opening because there's no way that any of us can do this alone from now on. I mean, this may be, that may have been the case 10 years ago, but now unless you want to be chronically burnt out and angry and not, <laughs> you know, spending any time with your family, uh, which is, I don't think any of us started this so we could, you know, be uh, zombies. <laughs> right. So. Yeah. My goal was not to live a life of burnout. That is for sure. But that's unfortunately what happens when we do take on that ideal that we need to do it alone or that we can do it alone. I did that forever. I was like, but I can do this. Yeah. I can do this. Yeah. And then I would work nights and weekends around the clock and then I would get to that point where I was burnt out and I would wonder why yeah yeah definitely and I and that go ahead sorry 
No, you go ahead. No, I, I've noticed that I, I think that probably is the reason why I've been able to be creatively fueled and, you know, always kind of excited about the blog, even though it's been five years, just because that I've always taken it slow paced. And that's allowed me to explore and nurture my interests and, you know, just have fun with it <laughs> and not just be a drag. <laughs> I love that we ended on this note because that is such an important point that we don't often say, and that is, this is not a job that is meant to be done alone. So keep that in mind as you move forward. You need to start giving away some tasks and you need to start investing in your business maybe a little bit more than you are. And this is a reminder for me too, because I get in the rut too, where I'm like, I'll just do it. I can do it. So why not? I'll just keep doing it. I just started outsourcing my um, podcast. And by the time this airs, she will be producing my and editing my podcast episodes. And I'm, I held on to this task for so long. I mean, it's been almost three years. (laughs) And I was like, but I can do it. I can edit. But I am so excited for the time that's going to open up when I hand this off and I actually have time to explore other options and grow my business in new ways. That's super exciting. And yeah, it's an investment, but it's, in my opinion, so worthwhile to do that. Yeah. And it gives you space to think of, think of new things and keep it exciting instead of just, you know, I, there, there was a point where I knew, and this was right after my son was born, um, where I knew like, I can't keep this up if I'm going to do, and and you know how step-by-step photos are so important. I couldn't do step-by-step photos and my mm-hmm. photography and have, you know, two kids full time. <laughs> so, yeah. So that, that's when I, you know, there, you, you just have to, especially if there's something that you're not enjoying as much, if you're not that good at something, just consider, you know, hiring it out. And it, it may not work the first time around, but you just keep looking you know, keep trying. I am so loving this. Okay. Thank you so much, Isa. This was such a great chat. I really appreciate everything you shared today. And I know food bloggers are going to love it as well. So thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Megan. I really enjoyed talking with you. Same. Do you have a favorite quote or words of inspiration to leave us with? Um, (laughs) I think I, I talked, I, 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 I was going to, that was, <laughs> okay. Um, I'd say, to thy own self be true. And I know that, mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of like a very, It's it may seem out there, but the more you lean into who you are, I, that's that, that becomes your biggest asset, I think. Oh, love that. <laughs> Great way to end. Thank you so much, Isa. Thank we'll put you, together a sh- yeah, we'll put together a show notes page for you. So if you want to go peek at those, you can go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash tea for turmeric. Tell everyone where they can find you online and on social media. I'm uh, just active on in terms of social on Instagram and that too semi-active, I'll say, but it's tea for turmeric on there. And of course, my website is teaforturmeric.com. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Isa, for joining me. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you in the next episode. 
We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.